Hi, it's Rabbi Jimmy Golf. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, this is my Rosh Hashanah morning sermon, and I want to share it with you. I'm going to probably be speaking as if I'm delivering it, so please bear with me, because something actually happened during the sermon, which was really kind of cool, when somebody read the Haftarah, the reading from our prophets or from our writings, in such a way that it truly spoke to the content of the sermon in just one of those moments that was beshert, that was divinely ordained. I'd love to hear what you think, though, after you listen. You can always call me at 610-624-3441, or you can email me at ravsandvictorjim at aol.com. Shalom. You've just got to wonder... Charles Wilson and his wife, Tay, had no idea anything was wrong. This was an African-American couple who sought to get married at a church, First Baptist Church of Crystal Springs, where they often attended this past summer. Um, But at the last minute, the pastor moved the wedding to another church. When asked, he responded, Pastor Stan Weatherford said, He was caught by surprise by what he called a small minority opposed to a black wedding. He said he was prepared to go ahead and do the ceremony at First Baptist like he had agreed to do, but instead moved it to a different church because he didn't want the couple's wedding day to be marred by controversy. Circumstances dictated that the Wilson's wedding was going to be marred by controversy no matter what happened from that July date forward. Marred by controversy seems to have been a given due to the fact that the couple's race was at the core of the decision to move the wedding. Now, when some people hear this, the response is, that's just the South, that's just Mississippi. Maybe. But when I was an undergrad at Temple University, I remember hearing about, for the first time, an interracial couple being firebombed out of their home in South Philly. So regardless of place, it seems that different people are quickly turned into other, and specifically others to be controlled or shunned. And we wonder if it's part, just part of our human makeup. Now this can be used to humorous effect. When I was a rabbinical student, I went to the home of Dr. Jacob Rader Marcus for the first time, and I arrived to find the college's maintenance staff They're trying to help him figure out why his home was so cold. Dr. Marcus had just purchased a brand new train heating system, which he proudly announced to us, but it wasn't working. In his frustration, he turned to me and David and muttered, brand new train heating system and it's not working. Anti-Semites. But it begs the important question, is it the nature of people to be anti-Semitic or xenophobic. In our base nature, we have a tendency to take notice of that which is different. Once we were predators and sometimes we were prey. It is our religious teachings where we first hear the message of acting differently, of being different when we see the stranger. Found in several Torah portions we read, 
The stranger that sojourneth with you shall be unto you as the home born among you, and you shall love that person as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am Adonai your God. We know what it is to be the stranger, to be the slave, to be the non or no person in a society. Were all the Egyptians anti-Semites? No. But enough were willing to go along with the system that we have the Exodus and Passover. We are reminded that a cause central to our identity as Jews, to the identity of all minorities, is the struggle to say, we too are human. The attempt to take this away from Jews or from any person should create within us a feeling of kinship, for we know the plight of the stranger. And we are commanded to stand with the stranger as if they were our own. But then there's that, that human nature. Also this summer, an ancient anti-Semitic tactic was brought back to life. When ancient Greeks sought to deny Jews access or punish them, they would deny their access to faith practices. And there are a few things they would ban. The study of Torah was one. And the other one was circumcision. Thus the connection to a problem this summer that was reported in Reuters on July 12th. A German court's ban on circumcising baby boys has provoked a rare show of unity between Jews, Muslims, and Christians who see it as a threat to religious freedom. While doctors see that it could increase health risks by forcing the practice underground. European rabbis meeting in Berlin on Thursday promised to defy the ruling by a court in the city of Cologne last month. They plan further talks with Muslim and Christian leaders in Stuttgart next week to see how they can fight the ban together. As I listened to this story unfold and read the various criticisms of the German government, I wondered, is it just the nature of people and societies to do this? Though, you know, if you think about it, when Jews, Muslims, and Christians get together in Germany to fight for religious freedom, well, maybe there are some things we will ultimately agree on. Yet it should also remind us that the attempt to make strangers out of other people, in this case, monotheists who practice circumcision, Anything like this should call upon all people with a religious conscience or a passion for religious tolerance to raise their voices, their alarm, their shofarot. But does this only happen among non-Jews or among groups so defined along religious lines? Salt. Sodium chloride. You know, the white stuff on your table. Haaretz reported August 26th, again this summer. Breed Harel's boyfriend couldn't understand why she kept staring at the bag of salt he had just brought back from a market in their neighborhood of Nachalot in Jerusalem. Do you notice something missing here, she asked him. There used to be something blue here. She recalled, he recalled. Yes, a woman, she responded. The exclusion of women from public domain has reached a new level. This time, the topic of discussion is a packet of sullied table salt that was bought in a non-ultra-Orthodox market in Jerusalem. 
The package typically features the familiar blue drawing of a woman sprinkling a pinch of salt, but in this particular passage, package, the woman was nowhere to be found. Responding to the removal of Salit's brand emblem, the company said, Character of the woman was removed from packages of Salit table salt that are kosher for Passover under Badat's rabbinic court supervision so as to create a distinction between Passover and non-Passover products. Packages of Salit table salt that are sold throughout the year under Badat's supervision bear the image of the woman. There has been a concerted effort in Israel, and particularly in Jerusalem, to remove all images of women from public view. It is not just the salt company. It happened in America, too. A Brooklyn ultra-Orthodox Yiddish weekly paper doctored the Situation Room during the assassination of Osama bin Laden and removed our Secretary of State and another woman from the photo over issues of modesty. While the secretary was dressed modestly enough to go to the Western Wall, it is not about her, but about a worldview that seeks to remove women from view. The paper responded, the readership of our paper believed that women should be appreciated for who they are and what they do, not for what they look like, and Jewish laws of modesty are an expression of respect for women, not the opposite. The allegations by some that Orthodox Judaism denigrates women or does not respect women in public office is malicious slander and libel. Well, let's just take that out for a spin, shall we? Our Secretary of State, who is Hillary Clinton, participating in a critical moment of U.S. defense, what her position calls upon her to do, what she is supposedly respected for. I guess the paper is okay with the denigration of the men, who appeared in the photo, because it apparently does matter what they look like. In fact, how dare the paper disrespect these men by making them objects of desire? Ashanda. And now during these high holidays, you will notice that various members of our WRJ wore tali tote as they led services this morning. Beth David's WRJ, Women of Reform Judaism, decided to do this as a show of solidarity due to the increased religious oppression of Neshot HaKotel, women of the wall. These are women who go to the Western Wall in Jerusalem and have faced increasing arrests and harassment because they choose to wear a talit. They wear this talit in the place where the Talmud teaches the Shekhinah, God's indwelling presence rested after the destruction of the Temple in the year 70 CE. Now the irony here is that first, since there's a modesty barrier between the men's section and the women's section, how do the men know what the women are wearing? Secondly, I've been to the wall where I've been spat upon by Haredi Jews for praying in a minion comprised of men and women. Three other large rabbis and I kind of made the defensive line as a small flock of black-headed Haredi screamed at us for praying in the foyer, if you will, of the Kotel. As we stand with these women, we stand for social justice, whether it be here in America or in Israel. See these talitot, and remember that if any of these women were to put on such a garment in view of the Western Wall, they could be arrested with a possible imprisonment of up to two and a half years.
this in a Jewish country. My thanks to the dozen women who've decided to wear a talit, to make a pledge to help Neshota Kotel, these women who place themselves at risk as they struggle to ensure that every Jew may approach this site so many hold as sacred. When someone attempts to dehumanize another, we should sound the shofar. The charge Judaism gives to the entire world was to embrace the differences in all people. Maybe that was the message Judaism made to a world, and we as humans find it so threatening because of our just nature to be anti-Semitic or xenophobic. This would be bad enough, except when we Jews, the bearers of this message, forget the message, forget our call to ourselves and to humanity to be more than our fears, we should raise the alarm. My thanks to Jane today, who so eloquently decided to emphasize part of our Haftarah from Nehemiah Nehemiah, as she read, On the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the Torah before the assembly, including both men and women, and all who were capable of understanding it. Both men and women. Oftentimes we look into the past and we think they were more backwards then. They didn't really understand then. They weren't modern people like us. Well, they knew that both men and women needed to be called to hear the words of Torah. Maybe we should learn from their example today. Chatimatova. May you be sealed in the book of life. Thank <laughs> you.